Luke chapter number 18, if you would please stand and let's read beginning in verse number 9. Very familiar parable that is spoken by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse number 9, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. The publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner." I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. I want to preach this morning on what kind of religion do you have? Let's pray and ask that the Lord would bless our time together. Father, thank you for the privilege to be in church today, and we ask that you would continue to bless. Thank you for the singing the special. We thank you for the Sunday school lessons. We thank you for the children's church. We ask your blessings upon it this morning. We pray, Father, that as we look at this parable that you spoke, we pray that you'd help us to draw out the truths that we need to hear today, and we pray that the Holy Spirit of God would bless what is preached today and speak to our hearts and give us what we need. Uh, bring us to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, anyone who is not saved. And Lord, uh, those of us that are saved, uh, help us to have the right kind of religion. It's so easy to drift into the wrong kind. And I pray, God, that you would work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Yesterday, um, after street ministry, my wife offered someone a tract who responded in a fairly common, I mean, not super common, but we hear it from time to time. The person received the track reluctantly and said, I'm not a religious person. My wife responded, very good response, I think. She said, well, technically, neither am I. You know, if you've ever read the epistle of James, James said a lot uh, about surface or false religion. Uh, He said, if a man says that he's religious but doesn't bridle his tongue, his religion is vain. He talked about what pure religion is. He said that uh, thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. But then he said the devils also believe and tremble. Basically, he's saying that just because you say the right things and you believe the right things, at least on the surface, that doesn't mean that your religion is of any value whatsoever. Now, there are way more religious people in hell today than there are uh, in heaven. Now, that may, you may find a hard time believing that. I'm not talking just about the other religions of the world, such as Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and all those things. I'm talking about even among quote-unquote Christian religions, there are way more religious people in hell than there are in heaven. Here in verse number 9 of our text, 
And he spake this parable unto certain. My first point this morning is sermons are supposed to be certain. You know, a lot of preaching today is just throwing some truth out there for the general population. It's kind of like what uh, we used to call when I was younger and I did, did a lot of bird hunting. They call it flock shooting. First time I went uh, quail hunting with my dad, we were up in the foothills just outside of the Boise area. And uh, the first covey of quail that I jumped, it was a large covey of quail. And I mean, it just, there were just quail all over in the sky. I had a semi-automatic 20-gauge shotgun, and I just, boom, 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 three shots that quick, and literally nothing dropped. My dad took one shot, and he dropped two quail with one shot. And I said, well, what happened, Dad? And he said, well, son, you can't just shoot at the covey. You have to pick out one at a time. And that's the way preaching is intended to be. And that's the way Jesus preached here. He preached here to a certain type of people. He's not flock shooting. He's not preaching to the choir. He's not just throwing out some general truth. He's trying to say something that needs to be received by someone. Can I say here this morning, if you are accustomed to coming to church faithfully week in and week out, and it's been a long time since you could honestly say that, hey, God spoke to my heart. God dealt with me. I felt like I had an encounter with the Word of God. Listen, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes... Sometimes the problem lies with the messenger. I I wish, I pray for the power of God. I pray for the anointing of God. And I know that every preacher who's worth his salt tries to live an example. And that's all the things that we try to do. But when the word of God goes out, at that point, the preacher becomes very helpless. Because what happens with the word of God is very largely determined on what you do with it as you receive it. I've heard people all through my life and ministry, it's like, well, that preacher just doesn't feed me. I'm just not getting fed. And certainly that can be the case in many pulpits in America today. But I also know that there are times when the problem is not the preacher. All kinds of God's men in the Bible, men like Jeremiah, he was a man of God if there ever was a man of God. And you know how much effect he had on people with his preaching? Absolutely zero. God told him when he called him, he said, you know what, nobody's going to listen to you. <laughs> How'd you like to sign up for that? Hey, Jeremiah, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get thrown in a dungeon. They're going to misunderstand you. They're going to falsely accuse you. All the other prophets, they're going to turn on you. And the people, they're just not going to listen to you. Hey, you ready to sign up? (laughs) Jeremiah, uh, I'm sure that he said, okay, God, whatever you want. But then there was a time when Jeremiah said, I'm just going to, I'm just going to shut my mouth. I'm tired of this. You know what Jeremiah said afterward? He said his word was like a burning in my bones. I couldn't forbear. I couldn't keep my mouth shut. Any real man of God can maybe get discouraged and, and wish that their life and their ministry was over like Elijah. But you know what? That's temporary insanity. Certainly there can be fault found in earthen vessels that present the word of God. But I don't believe that's the problem today. I certainly, from my perspective anyhow, don't believe that that's the problem here. 
But I also know that week in and week out that a lot of times people come and then they leave and then they come back and then they leave and then they come back and it has been way too long since you could say honestly, I opened up my heart and I tried to apply and listen, I treated the sermon as if I was the only one sitting there. I've had times in my life where I was sitting there and I was just sure that that sermon was for me. I mean, almost to the point where I felt narcissistic and self-centered that, hey, that preacher, he's not preaching to everybody else. He's zeroing. He is singling me out. And you know what? That's the Holy Spirit, but it has to be. Jesus talked about people who had ears that were dull of hearing. I think that's the problem in many churches today is that our ears get dull of hearing. We just get used to it. Well, I haven't heard anything new. You know, the problem isn't with hearing something new. The problem is, is what are we doing with what we are hearing Jesus here is speaking this sermon, and it's very certain. You know what he's saying here? He's saying here, he's speaking unto certain that trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Do you know that you can feel righteous and not be righteous? Uh, Some people are masters at compartmentalization. So what's compartmentalization? Well, it's kind of like... It's a defense mechanism in which people mentally separate conflicting thoughts or emotions or experiences in order to avoid the discomfort of contradiction. What what do we mean that? The discomfort of contradiction. Well, I sit in a church. You know, there are some of you that you wouldn't dare go to a liberal church. You you want the preacher to tell it like it is. But that doesn't mean that you're going to do anything about it. You know why? You've compartmentalized that. I want to be able to take this piece of the puzzle. I don't want to look at the whole picture. And I want to be able to look at this piece of the puzzle. And I want to take it out and I want to admire it and say, oh, preach it, preacher. I'm so glad we got a preacher that preaches the truth. I'm glad that he preaches against all of these sins. Yeah, even my sins. I want him preaching against my sins, but I'm not going to get under conviction. I'm not going to consider that I actually need to do something about it. I'm just going to feel good that, hey, he's standing for the truth. There's like this security that the preacher gets to bear all of the righteousness, but I don't have to hold up my piece of the sky. We compartmentalize the Word of God. We become, the the truth becomes like water on a duck's back. Yeah, we don't want dirty water. We want clean water. But we just don't want it to soak in and start actually changing something in our life. That's the kind of people that Jesus was preaching to. You can feel righteous and not be righteous. Do you know that you can appear righteous but not be righteous? In Matthew 23, verse number 28, Jesus said, Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Now, he's speaking to a particular kind of people that were called Pharisees. We'll say more about them here in a few minutes. But, you know, today in America, we don't have a group of people that are technically called the Pharisees. We have all kinds of different 
uh, Protestant denominations and churches. You can drive through our county and literally you can see a church almost on every corner. You can go to different churches and they'll have a different flavor, a different form of worship, a different style of singing, a different style of preaching. Some preaching is more informational and more explan- uh, exp- they explain it better. Explanative, explanatory. I don't know. I hate, why do I even try to say these words? Some preaching is more, t- is teachy preaching. And then there's other churches where you got preachers that, I mean, they preach, they shell the corn. And they can get you stirred up emotionally. It's a different flavor. It's all, you know, I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I'm just saying that there's a lot of different flavors of Christianity out there. But you know what our problem is, is we get secure in our flavor and then we just start tuning it out. We're so secure that we can just come and we don't get under conviction. We don't genuinely worship the Lord. We just check it off and we go through the motions. We appear to be righteous, but inwardly we're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Now you find both of these men here, a Pharisee and and a a, a publican, you find both of them in the temple. Uh, One of these men is very comfortable in the temple and the other is not. You know what the church needs today? The church needs more people being less comfortable in church than what we have today. Yes. We, I'm not talking about insecurity, and I'm not talking about our emotions being like a yo-yo. I'm talking about we just get too comfortable, and we need more Christianity and less churchianity. We figured out how to do church. Right. We figured out how to be faithful. We pay our tithe. We maybe serve in a ministry. We fit in. We perform. We're respectable. We figured out how to justify ourselves. We think that we're righteous because we are managing our checklist. But what's the last time that you felt conviction during a sermon or while reading your Bible or while spending time in personal prayer? When's the last time that you felt genuinely compelled to come to the altar and to get something right with God? At least this Pharisee had that much going for him that he was willing to come and to pray publicly, he was comfortable with at least the outward things. And that is the certain type of person that Jesus was preaching to. Look at verse number 10 in our text. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. We have here two men and two labels. And this is how the two men were categorized. Now, we categorize people the way we categorize different religion is not always accurate. I have discovered in my ministry that sometimes I have falsely accused people of being some way because of someone else that I knew. I have known people who went to a particular Bible college and I've just lumped them all. You know, maybe they had something that I disagreed with or something that I felt was wrong and then I've made the 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 foolish mistake of just lumping them all in the same category. And you cannot do that, folks. But Jesus is the one that has categorized these two men. He's the one that said one was a Pharisee and the other 
was a publican. Now, when you hear these two categories, you, we realize that both of these men made choices for their life. Their choices tell us a few things about them. Listen, publicans were always lumped in with the sinners. A publican was a tax collector. And it wasn't their tax collecting that caused their problems. It was that they were known for skimming off the top. They were known for taking advantage. They had the authority of the Romans to collect taxes. They were considered traitors. And with that lifestyle, because they had money, just like uh, just like Zacchaeus did, they had money, they had some authority, they had some prestige, but they were rejected by the majority of the people. They were considered the offscouring. The Pharisees had no use for them. In fact, the, the, the Pharisees uh, criticized Jesus Christ for having anything to do with them. They were the outcasts. Now, when you're an outcast from the religious crowd, you know what happens. It affects the way that you live. Why should I, why should I care about my integrity or my morality? I guarantee you those publicans were the ones that had, I mean, they were no doubt uh, social drinkers. They were no doubt had their parties and their wickedness and all the immorality that went with that because we're not respected anyway, so what does it matter whether we're respectable? But the Pharisees were were way different. They were the accepted religious crowd, and the Pharisee movement started out as a very good thing. They were known as separated. That's what the word Pharisee means. And when the Pharisee movement began, it was a good thing because they were separating from the Jews that were liberal, that weren't truly obeying the Scripture. And the Pharisaical movement was kind of like the fundamentalist movement in the 1900s. It was a good thing. Religion had morphed into something that was very liberal, was going away from the Scripture, And all of the organized religion and all the pomp and all of the ceremony had become something that wasn't a heartfelt thing. The fundamentalists came along and said, hey, we got to get something that's real that gets into the heart and affects us in our life. But what happens, every movement has a tendency of morphing into something that is not good. If you're following a movement, I promise you, it will morph into something that's bad. Now, Jesus Christ, if you're following Him, truly, that'll never morph into something bad. But a movement will, and the Pharisaical movement very much, while it started out as a good thing, it morphed into something that was all surface. It was hypocritical. Now, folks, there's nothing wrong with labels. I know a lot of Baptists are taking the Baptist label off of their church. And I don't, listen, I'm not saying that they're backslid or not right with God. Listen, being a Baptist has nothing to do with me or you being right with God. It's just simply a label that puts us under a category of certain things that we believe. Most Baptists today don't even know what they believe. It's just, well, this was the church that I grew up in. This is my grandparents' church. And most people are part of a church, and they don't even have any clue why they're part of that church. It's just tradition. 
It's all about family. It's all about friends. It's all about fellowship. Well, this is my church because this is where my friends go. Ah, that's a good thing. But it just morphed into something that's not good. Because it's not about Jesus Christ and it's not about serving him. It's not about the word of God. It's just all about the social and it morphed into something that's bad. It'll do it every single time. Nothing wrong with labels until they become inaccurate. Listen, when you read the label of something you're getting ready to ingest, you want it to be accurate. Do you not? Of course you do. Of course you do. You want to be able to read the label and say, this is safe. You don't want somebody to take the label off of your Mountain Dew and stick it on the Drano and vice versa. That's bad news. Hope I didn't get any of you upset women any ideas. Oh, there you go. There's no, nothing wrong with a label until the label becomes inaccurate or, or until the label holds more value than the ingredients. Yes. Ah, there we have. Religion today, there we have what is going on in many of your hearts here today is that you hold more value in your label, who you identify with, whether it be, whether it be Temple Baptist Church, being a KJV Bible believer, whether it be being led to the Lord by Brother Lonnie Wilson or Brother Mac Pennell, this is this is what I've been part of, whether it be uh, part of Pastor Mitchell. It doesn't matter. What happens is if we start holding more value in the label than the substance, then we are in very dangerous, dangerous territory. You know what? You can be a fan of righteousness and never, ever get in the game. Brother Sharp was talking about handing out tracts. I know a lot of Christians that they drive by us. Hey, yeah, Hunter, we appreciate what you're doing. And listen, I'm not trying to. I hope this doesn't come across as snotty because I don't. I don't think this all the time. But sometimes you wonder. It's like, well, if you're such a fan of this, why is nobody else? And that's not true. There are other churches that hand out tracts. There are other churches. I know I, I drive by at uh, 11 o'clock and Northmont Baptist Church is down there by CVS just around the corner. And they got their gospel signs out. And I go by and I go, praise the Lord. Well, that's wonderful. More power to you. But listen, in a church, literally, there are easily 120 Baptist churches within a 20-mile radius of us right here. If we were doing a tenth of what we ought to be doing, every single person in this county would get witnessed to probably about four or five times a year. It's not happening. Oh, I'm a big fan of Jesus. I'm a big fan of witnessing. I'm a big fan of all of those things. Hey, I'll even wear, I'll even wear my colors to support it, but don't put me in the game. I don't want to be in the battle. I mean, I'm, I'm supposed to do that too? Yeah, that's the way the Pharisees were. 
Pharisees were really good at that. Yeah, you ought to do all of this. Jesus was speaking to those certain people. Today's labels are denominations, affiliations, beliefs. Both these men went to church. Both prayed. But there was a huge difference between this, these men. Listen, everyone at church probably looked at the Pharisee and respected his prayer. I guarantee you, everyone in the temple is probably going, wow, that Pharisee, he really, he really, he, he, he's doing good. He's dressed right. They had respect to his prayer. But nobody suspected what God respected. If you would have seen Cain's sacrifice compared to Abel's sacrifice, I guarantee you, you would have loved Cain's sacrifice way more. Have you ever seen the, the, the artist? At some point, every artist always paints the picture of the cornucopia with all of the fruit just flooding out of the cornucopia. All the colors of, that's Cain's sacrifice. You know what Abel's sacrifice was? Here's something of the flock, throat slit, bleeding all over the place. Who would want that? No one suspected what God respected. And that's what we see in today's church today. Look at verse number 11. It says here that the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that he's a thankful man. He was thankful. I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Is there anything wrong with those things? Listen, adultery is a sin. Extortion is a sin. Being unjust, unfair, dishonest is a sin. And it's a good thing to tithe. It's a good thing to fast and pray and be religious. Those are all good things. But number three, where's God? Where is he? This man is praying with himself. Why? Because there's no God there. He's just going through the motions. He's saying all of the right things. But where is God? People like this pray, but God's nowhere near. This man's not thinking about God. He's thinking about himself. I, 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 I thank thee that I am not as other men. I do this and I do that. He's just thinking about himself. He's not thinking about God. You know why some of you, your prayer life is all about talking to God about your ailments or people that you know that have ailments and sickness and injuries. And you know why it's all about ailments? Because you never spend time worshiping and praising God. You don't get on your knees. You don't really, your heart reach up to heaven and say, God, thank you for saving me. I deserve to be in hell. You don't praise the Lord for His holiness and His goodness, and you don't talk to Him about how kind and merciful and holy that He is. You don't, you don't raise your hands in private and say, Oh God, I worship you. 
You are such a wonderful God. Oh, listen, Jesus, your name is above every name. You don't do that from a heart level. That's the reason you don't do it in public is because you can't do it in private. All you know to do is to just give God your wish list. Now, just like the Pharisee, is there anything wrong with the wish list? No. But where is God? You know, we, we can gripe about the liberal viewpoint of the contemporary flavor of Christianity all that we want, but I'll tell you one thing that they at least got a hold of, and that is that we need to worship and praise the Lord. We need to have some heart in it. He's worthy. At least they got a hold of that, and they got, hey, some of it's certainly false, but at least they got some life in them. Not the dead orthodoxy that Jesus is preaching against, that certain man here. I, 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 this is what I am. This is how I stack up against other believers. Sometimes we look down on other forms and flavors and types of churches and denominations. You know what? God, God's not looking at your label. He's looking at who you are. This man, he feels like, you know what? I stack up pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. And how do we know that he feels good about himself? Well, because he, he looks at this publican and he feels superior and he ends up despising him. You know why? Because he's trusting in himself that he's righteous. Verse number 9, we read it there. He's trusting in himself for his righteousness. Look at verse number 13. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's not praying with himself. He's not thinking about himself. The only thing he's thinking about himself is how wicked and unworthy that he is. And he's addressing his prayer to God and he's saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know why people don't do that much today is because we don't see the Lord high and lifted up. I guarantee you, Isaiah was more righteous than anyone in this building. But when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, you know what he did? He, he fell down on his face and he said, he said, God, he said, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. That's what we need today, folks. So we need to get our eyes off of ourself and our religion and our labels and all of those things. And we need to be like this man and start addressing our prayer to God. Number four, you call that a prayer? That's a horrible prayer from man's perspective, from religion's perspective. It's all he said. God, be merciful. I, I, I guarantee you, he wasn't saying, he didn't say, God. You ever religious people get a little breathy when they say God? They draw it out just, oh, God. I guarantee you, you know what he's saying. Yes, sir. God, be 
merciful to me. He's probably having a hard time. His, he's got so much stress and his gut's so knotted up in conviction that he can't even lift up his eyes. And he's having a hard time just getting those words. Have you ever been in the presence of God where you just didn't even want to speak because you're afraid that you would just burst that bubble of God's presence? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This doesn't seem like much of a prayer, but listen to his heart. What he had to say from his lips was not much, but there was so much behind that prayer that was coming from his heart. It was repentance. It was coming face to face instead of hiding behind his sin, justifying it, excusing it. Instead of trying to scrub it up on the outside, he wasn't, he didn't care what anybody thought of him. He was totally focused on God Almighty. David said in Psalm 34, verse number 18, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. That's what this man had. That's what his heart had. His prayer was not much of a prayer religiously, but, oh, it was a sweet savor. His prayer came up in the nostrils of a holy God, and God said, wow, that smells good. Wow, that is a good prayer. God says, man, it's been... It's been days since I've heard anyone on planet earth pray like that. Oh, God says, I missed that. I love it when the Holy Spirit shows up. People come to the altar not being self-conscious, not caring what anybody thinks. Oh, what are people going to think of me? Listen, if you're worried about what people think of you, your eyes aren't on God. You're, you're like this Pharisee. Yes, God speaks to your heart and he spells out some certain thing lacking in your life or some sin that you are committing. If your heart is tender before God and you've got a contrite spirit like David had, you're not going to worry. You're not even going to wait till the invitation. You're going to come down to this altar and get right with God. <gasps> what would people think? Ah, Herein lies the problem. That's exactly the type of person that Jesus is preaching to. Now, I'm not preaching this to you. I'm just, telling, I'm, I'm just giving you what Jesus was preaching. How many people have made a profession, said the perfect prayer? Oh, we have the sinner's prayer. And part of the sinner's prayer is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Nothing, it's a good prayer to pray, but if it doesn't come from the heart, it matters absolutely nothing. You can have the perfect sinner's prayer and absolutely nothing happen, and you can just say to God, you know what, you can get saved by saying, oh God, save me. If you are believing from the heart, if your heart is sorry, contrite, and broken over your sin. You're listening to what God has to say. God will hear you. He'll hear what's in your heart, even if what you say from your lips has absolutely makes no sense whatsoever. You know what's wrong with the church today? 
It's full of good religious people who have never been born again. How how can things be in God's church? How can people be so cold and dead and indifferent, so asleep spiritually, and honestly say, oh yeah, I'm saved. Thou believest there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils believe and tremble. In conclusion, look at verse number 14, and look at the first three words that Jesus says. He says, I tell you, I tell you. This is not for us to discern which one of these guys is the best guy. If we were to look at it from our standpoint, we would say, wow, that Pharisee, he's got it on the ball. That publican, man, that's a sorry prayer. What are you talking? You don't even know how to pray. You're a publican. You got the wrong label. You need to go, you need to become a Pharisee, or you need to be this, or you need to be that. If we were looking at it, we would, I guarantee you, we'd miss it. But Jesus didn't. He said, I tell you, this man, speaking of the publican, the one who smote upon his breast and said, God, be merciful. He didn't even look up. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This man, Jesus says, went down to his house justified. What does it mean to be justified? It means to be declared righteous. Rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. This isn't this phony humility. You, you know, some people, there's some people that have learned and heard that, hey, I, I need to humble myself. So I say the right prayer. Lord, I, I humble myself before you. That doesn't mean you're being humble. It's the heart. So, preacher, I just don't feel broken for my sin. I don't feel under conviction over my half-hearted life. Why not? The problem's not with what Jesus is saying. The problem's not with the Word of God or the Holy Spirit. God's not broken. The problem is in your heart. That you just, you've got some stubbornness, some stiff-neckedness. You're so conscious about living up to your standard that you can't truly humble yourself and say, Hey, I don't care. I don't care what I think. I don't care what my spouse thinks. I don't care what anybody thinks. I only care about what God thinks. What does God think of you? Luke 15, verse number 18, this prodigal said, he said, I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. This prodigal, he came to himself in the hog pen and he said, I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to tell him I'm unworthy to be called thy son. Hey, I got a news flash for you. The prodigal was unworthy before he ever went to the far country, and so are you and I. Yes, sir. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. Some of you have stayed right with God. You didn't go off into the far country. You've never went into, uh, you've never done drugs. You've never had premarital sex. You've never done all of those things, but your heart is still yes, sir. just blah. Yes. We are all unworthy. 
Psalm 73, verse number 3, David said, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Look what he says in verse 14, for all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. David was a man after God's own heart. David, listen, David was not a perfect man, but I'll tell you what David was good at. He was good at what this publican was good at. God, be merciful against thee and thee only have I sinned. David was a great repenter because David had a great heart for God. The Pharisee was secure. Nothing was, I mean, this Pharisee was like Psalm 73, 3, and through verse number 5, he's like, he wasn't, he wasn't stressed out. He, he never doubted his salvation. I'm fine. I'm a Pharisee. I do all of these things. I'm living up to my list. I must be worthy of God's acceptance. He never stressed or worried about it. He was secure. And he was on his way to a devil's hell. This publican, publican was a mess. But he went home from the temple with a brand new home in heaven. Why? Because he chose the right religion. What's the right religion? The right religion is the kind that the only thing that matters is what God thinks of me. So I close with a question. What kind of religion do you have? I'm not preaching to people out there. I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. What kind of religion do you and I have? Is it like the publican who went home justified Or is it like the Pharisee, looks good on the outward, but inwardly, it's not good at all.